Well, good morning. How are we all doing? Good. Hey, well, hey, we got some work to do. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 13 as we kick off a new series. Uh, it's a new series called Together We Are. I'll obviously unpack that a little bit here in a minute. Uh, but uh, just so you know, some of you are looking forward to our fall Romans series. We'll get to that in five weeks. So we'll do this for five weeks. And then uh, Romans will take 29 weeks up until Easter for those of you type A that want to know where we're going with everything. So there you go. Uh, it's a new season. I was on vacation the last couple weeks and um, got to read a lot of books. And one of, the, um, one of the books I was reading was on influence and how the expectations in the room uh, is kind of influences you a lot. So I thought, let's do a reset. Let's do a reset at uh, Redemption Parker. Uh, we need you to come to this moment uh, more engaged. <laughs> Does that make sense? So we need you to lean in. So I'm going to give you all Three amens that you got to say at some point during the sermon. Okay, so, so you, you, can, you can mix it up. You know, I've been in some other traditions and, and services. You don't just have to say amen. You can say, say that. You can say 100. You can say preach. Okay, come on. Come on now. You could say uh, louder. You could say mm-hmm. As long as I can hear you. That, it doesn't count if I can't hear you. So the expectation is that, that you'll be leaning in and that, that you'll be vocalized. So many times people come up to me and they're like, hey, I, I just wanted, I wanted to shout amen. But everyone was dead in the room. I'm like, dude, I'm preaching. I know. I know that that's hard. So listen, this is now the expectation in the room. So if the person on your left or right doesn't spend their three amens or variations of it, they're the weirdo, okay? Don't let them be a weirdo. So, so let's just test it out. You don't get credit for this one. On three together. One, two, three. Amen. There we go. See, that's not too hard. That's not too hard. So um, yeah, I wanted to do that. We're going to do that all series long. So let, let us keep, keep rolling with that. Uh, two goals for this series, the Together We Are series. If it, one, one is uh, we kind of did this similar series about four years ago. Just what, what is the church? What are we about? What, what's our vision, mission, all that stuff? Uh, so it's a reminder in, in one hand. Uh, the other is uh, if you're new, if you're just checking out, if you're exploring and, and, and are wondering, is this a church? that I can lay down my life for. Uh, this is a great series to just hear whether or not that is the case. And so uh, my first goal is just to kind of understand the ethos, the vision of this, of this place. Some of you know that I never... Uh, had a plan or intended to be a pastor in America. Uh, I graduated seminary. We, we went immediately to the mission field. Uh, we, we did some, just got to see God do some ame- amazing things. And I would come back and, and most of my friends, most of my friends that went through seminary with me uh, were, were burned out and were out of the church. And so I was like, ah, I don't want anything to do with that. And so my mentors would come to me and I would tell them about what was going on. And uh, they would grab me by the shoulders and they would say, Mark, never come back to America. You don't want to do it. And I was like, you're right. I don't, I, I don't want to do that. And so uh, we had no plans to do that until my father-in-law uh, was, uh, had Alzheimer's. And we just felt like the Lord was calling us to uh, come back and, and do some care for him. And so we were, we were kind of orphaned in that way. We didn't know what, what to do. And so we just had opened up our home and uh, began to uh, open up the Bible together. And uh, out of that uh, was born Redemption Parker four and a half years ago. But I always say that we never intended to do that. This was a church plant by mistake. 
And so, but with that, it just means we're not, we're not trying to figure out what, what is the metrics to get people in the room? What is, what are we going to do to make sure the crowd is pleased? That's just no desire of mine whatsoever. Uh, and that kind of comes out in some of our ethos as well. But uh, so, so learn just where we're at. And then the, the second goal and the major goal and the one I've been praying for us is as, as we turn our eyes to God's word and, and we see what he has to say about the church, that together collectively, all of us, our love for, our commitment to, our knowledge of, our sacrifice in the local church would just begin to grow and grow and grow. Because as we're going to see in this series, what God thinks about this place is very, very special. What God thinks about the churches in the city, in this nation, and like we have a far, far, far lower view uh, of what God thinks about what's happening in this moment. And so we just want to raise that up. That, those are kind of the, the goals of this series. But um, to, to, to say this church is a beautiful place and a, uh, 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 the dearest place on earth, uh, there, there's a couple obstacles that we have to overcome to even get to that place in our, our hearts and minds this morning. The first one is uh, some of you have some background where the church, it hasn't been the dearest place. It's been a place of pain. It's been a place of uh, woundedness by other people or dominating leadership or church splits. And, and so to, to even think that this place, that, that a local church could be a place where it is the dearest place on earth to you, that, that's a hard thing. And I'm not downplaying any of that. That, that, that happens. The, the, those hurts are real. And yet, yet in spite of those things, God would call us to lay down our lives, to give ourselves, to love deeply the church. Charles Spurgeon uh, put it this way. Spurgeon was 150 years ago. He uh, was the first kind of mega church pastor. He preached to 10,000 people, but he didn't have any speaker system or anything like that. He, he just had a booming voice. In fact, he had a pastor's college where, where if you came in, they would measure your chest. And if you weren't a barrel-chested man, you, you weren't called to preach. So I don't know if I'd be teaching in the kids' room. I don't know wh- where I'd be in this moment, but thank God for technology. But uh, here, here's what Tr- Spurgeon had to say about the church Listen, and church hurt. He says, give yourself to the church church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Hey, some of you only have two left. (laughs) There you go. All who have given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. Who else, how else is there to be a church on earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony of God would be lost in the world. As I've already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's nor need your faults keep you back. Get ready. You're going to say amen in this next moment. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace. Who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and the guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children. 
where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Again, the church is not a perfect place. Uh, the church is this mystery, mess, messy, glorious place where, where people that are redeemed and rescued by God, being made into the image of Christ, uh, that, that, that being made, that process is a messy process. And, and when we still sin, and when we sin, if we're going to be a close-knit church, we're going to sin, and that's going to send out shrapnel. We're going to wound each other, and that's part of the process. We have to uh, forgive each other. And so, uh, for example, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Uh, that's like men's favorite like, uh, proverb. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you're like, yes, that's manly. manly. But that's a, that's a violent process. It's a violent process to grow and, and be more like Christ. Let me try to fix this here. Okay. Um, but uh, in the mess, God is doing a work that is a, a beautiful thing. That's why this is the dearest place. So the first thing is we've got we to deal with church does hurt us. Uh, church does disappoint us. And by the way, that is true here at Redemption Parker. We will disappoint you. And if you're just new, you haven't been here, hey, listen, I've got like 30 minutes left. I still have time. So uh, you will be disappointed at, at, at coming here. And yet and still, it is the dearest place on earth for God's people. Uh, the second thing that we have to come across, uh, again, uh, is something that we all know and we just all assume and we're like, yeah, that's just the way it is. But you, you know, studies have shown that, that, uh, that American culture is the most individualistic culture on the planet. That's American culture as a whole. But then you come to the West, you come to Colorado, and it's like multiplied, Right? Like, we're, we're, we're commitment averse. We don't want to, uh, you know, what's in it for us? What, what's, we have these kind of consumer, consumer lens that we just see everything through. And it's no, no wonder that we just bring that into this room as well. And so we, we, we try to figure out, do, do I like it? Was I pleased? What, what was going on? Does this meet me? We put spiritual language on it. Am I being fed spiritually? All sorts of things. But we're really just saying, uh, what's in it for me? And, and uh, that, that militates against the gospel. You, you cannot grow as a disciple of Jesus with an eyes only on you. And so uh, we've got to press against that. Uh, last week, Pat, Ryan was, was preaching, and uh, as he was coming into the parking lot, you may have noticed our friends at Thrive Church were, were across the street, and as he was bringing his little boys into the service, Judah and Elijah, they heard the music, and so that caught their attention, and they look across the street, and, and that church has a bounce house, and uh, those kids say, Daddy, Daddy, we want to go to the bounce house church, and, and Ryan's like, this is embarrassing, I'm preaching here today. Uh, <laughs> No, we're not going to Bounce House Church. Come on, come on. And they're just getting dragged along. Bounce House Church. Bounce House Church. And then a few minutes later, the, the Brick family came in, and they have little boys as well. And Ryan asked them, hey, how did you get through the parking lot? And they're like, oh, we saw it. We just positioned ourselves between our boys and the Bounce House so that they never saw it. So they're, they're not dissatisfied at all. And so they were able to come in. Now, now I get that. If, if I'm a five-year-old boy, and I see a church with a bounce house, I'm going to use whatever persuasion I have to tell my family, let's go to bounce house church. That's where it's happening. And honestly, in some ways, for the family, it would be easier. Like, it'd be like, oh, and you could justify it, right? Well, I just want my kids to like the church. Yeah, they're going to like bounce houses. So I'm going to go to the bounce house. But I, I know the fees. I know the bricks. They, they, and I'm not knocking Thrive Church and how they're, uh, well, I kind of am. But uh, uh, I, I just, we're just different. That's what I'm saying. And uh, 
the fees and the breaks, sorry, uh, have a longer view of discipleship for their family and their kids. And, but, but, but here's the thing. We all have a bounce house. Like, like it just looks different. So, so uh, sometimes it's, you got teenagers in middle school and high school and you're like, man, I, I want to go to Bounce House Church where, where there's a program and a big youth group and they, they go on all these things and it's awesome and it's amazing and we're going we're gonna to leave because we just want our kids to love the church. And, and we've had families leave here. And it grieves me because I know, I know our leaders. I know Hakeem and Corey and Jess and Michael. Uh, I I know how they pour into those kids. I know how they're equipping them with the gospel. I know how they're loving them. I know how rich it is to help them love Jesus and love their church for the long run. And it just grieves me to say, man, why would you go to Bounce House Church in that moment? It looks different for all of us. Uh, Jesse and I were at a meeting this week and uh, at a coffee shop, and he, someone from his past, from a past ministry, came up with this girl, young 20-something. He's like, how's it going? She's like, great. Are you still serving over there? Yeah, I'm serving those kids, but I don't go to church there anymore. And, and he's like, okay, yeah, I, go to, I go to the other church, and, and it's, it's just it's cool. It's got this hip vibe, and, and everyone's like our age and 20, and, and just all my friends go there now, and we, we all go there now. And, and he's like, okay, She's like, well, I'm going to keep serving over there, but, but I want to be in that church. And so uh, she's left her church, and as she walked away, I was just like, that's just a terrible view of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. It's just a terrible view, but we all have it. Like, there, there is all, there, for all of us, if we're going to just kind of look through, well, what's in it for me, we're going to look for a bounce house. We're going to look for uh, what... Am I pleased? And, and that's kind of the uh, underlying question that we leave every service, every church from. Did it please me? Did, did, it, did, I, did it speak to me? Did I like the music? Did I like the songs? Did, I, did, did people greet me in a way that I really wanted to be greeted? So on and so forth. We, we, we may not actually ask the questions, but, but internally we're, we're processing. Did, did it please me? But I want to suggest, before we start off this series, a, a different question. In fact, I was working all week in a different passage, Ephesians 2, thinking, okay, I'm going to set up what is the church. And I just felt like I need a shift. There is something before we even talk about what is the nature of the church that that is important when we come together, whether it's in our gospel communities or in this room. There's another question we ask. So we ask the question, did it please me? But have you ever asked the question, God, were you pleased? Were you pleased, God? Were you pleased in my heart, in my attitude, in my worship, in my service? Were, were you pleased in this church? Because here's the thing. I think most of us assume, yeah, of course he was pleased. I mean, look at this, the, the songs we sang and we read scripture. Of course God was pleased. Of course, that's just assumed God was pleased in that moment. However, when you look at this book... There are so many times when the people of God gathered for worship where God says, I despise that. I don't like that. Your offerings are a stench in my nostrils. I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Like, what in the world? Your, your, Your sacrifices, your religious service is empty to me. Because you neglect the poor and the oppressed. You neglect righteousness and holiness out during the rest of the week. And then you come in here and you think, I'm going to receive your offering? God says, no, I'm not going to receive that. 
Paul tells the Corinthian church, when you gather, it would, even be, it would be better if you didn't even gather as a church. You're doing more harm than good, Paul tells the Corinthians. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, comes to several churches. And he says, look, unless you repent, I'm going to wage war against you. Unless you, with the sword of my mouth. He says uh, to the church at Laodicea, uh, if, if you don't uh, kind of stop with this kind of lukewarm worship, lukewarm prayers, lukewarm warm sacrifice, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That is not a nice metaphor for, for the church. And time and time again, the people of God think, oh, God must love this. God must love our worship. Look at the people in the room. Of course God loves this. I wonder, I wonder if we've just gotten good at putting people in the room and, and just putting a stamp of God must love this. At what point does it kind of become an offense to God? Like we say, hey, we're, we're going um, to gather and we're just as the people of God uh, without music, without a, a professional speaker, without all these things. We're, we're going to spend a couple hours together and we're going to seek the Lord's face together. And we're, we're just going to pray. How many would show up? And at what point is it just an offense to God? Like, do, do you, are you only doing this for yourself? Or are you doing this because you want to please me? And this is, this is what we have to kind of realign in our hearts. Do we want to please God or do we just want to be entertained? Do, do we want to, there's this weird thing in, in, in Christian evangelical circles as well. It's not that we want to be entertained. Like the more convicted we feel that, man, that felt good. Let's get it again next week. Like, but is anyone going to change? Like, are, are we, we going to do anything about this consumerism in our hearts? Well, the word has good news for us. Jesus has good news for us. He said, oh, you can get there. He's going to give us an example to follow, a command to obey, and then power to do it. So if you have your Bible, uh, look with me to uh, John chapter 13 is where we're going to go as we start off this series. John chapter 13, this is uh, what's called the upper room discourse. Jesus has left heaven in glory. He's come down. He's taken on flesh. He's lived among us a life that you and I could never live of perfect obedience to the Father. He's loved his disciples. He's gathered them. He's taught them. And and now he knows. He's moments, hours away from betrayal, uh, beating, uh, torture, crucifixion. He knows he's just moments away from that. So he knows it's his last moments. And in his last moments, he's got the most important thing he wants to tell his followers before he leaves. And so in John chapter 13, we pick up the story. They're in the upper room. Start in verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of, this, out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I, I just love that. I don't want to go too quickly here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It was, it was um, persevering, consistent, nonstop love. He was pursuing his people. So you could put your name in, in there. Having loved Mark Oshman, having loved your name, who was in the world. He loved Redemption Parker to the end. And out of that love, he moves. Look at verse two. During supper, uh, actually I'll jump down to verse four. Then he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Again, we, we, we can assume that this would have been a shocking moment. See, foot washing was bottom, bottom rung sort of stuff. Uh, many rabbis in the first century forbade other Jews to wash other people's feet. It was considered that unclean. And so these guys who had been walking on these dirt roads and, and, and all sorts of stuff with nasty, dirty, smelly feet, when they come into a place, it, it is assumed that, that the servant of the house would, would get low and, and wash everybody's feet. But, but again, they're renting this room. They kind of got an Airbnb outside of, on the edge of Jerusalem. So there's no servant in the house. And so so it's, it's on them to figure out who's going to wash their feet. In fact, Luke's gospel in, in this scene kind of gives us a little bit more insight. Luke's gospel says, instead of washing each other's feet, they're actually in an argument. And you know what the argument is? Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're, they're arguing about their greatness. What's in it for me? Who's going to get the most? And, and in the midst of this argument, Jesus gets up. And so, and, and the one who is the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who is king of glory, he gets low. Paul tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, grasped onto. And he, empties, he emptied himself. In 2 verse 6, it says he became obedient. He, he became a slave to all. So he, he takes on the slave mentality. Maybe they were arguing. Maybe they knew it had to get done, but they were looking at each other and they're like, I'm above that. I'm above that. Look, Matthew, you do it. You were a tax collector. Like, you're probably the lowest here, so, so you should do that. And he's like, no, I have the most money, uh, so uh, let, let's get someone else. And, and they're in the midst of their arguing, Jesus gets up, and he gets on his hands and knees. And uh, for, for a moment, as he pours out the water, I imagine all you heard in that room, I don't know how long it takes to wash 12 dudes' feet. One of the 12 dudes is Judas at this point, so he's washing Judas's feet as well. He's loving even Judas to the end as well. And he gets down in the nasty, smelly, dirty feet and he's washing each of their feet and, and they are terrified, horrified. Peter's like, no, 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 don't do that. He's like, no, I, I have to do this. And so he gives, verse 12, it says, when he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord. You were right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So he gives us this example. He says, listen, if we're going to be a church that honors and pleases God, together we are a church that pursues to honor and please God. If we're going to be that, there, there has to be a fundamental kind of shift in our heart even when we gather at any, at any moment, coming in these doors. Like, how can I get low? How, how can I serve? How, how, can I, how, how, can I, how can I make sure that when I leave here today after service, God was pleased? We get low. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, 
there was, uh, I, someone else was, I think probably Matthew was preaching, and there was a need in the kids' room, and so uh, my wife said, hey, we're, we're going to do kids' ministry this week, and, and, and just full disclosure, honestly, my first response wasn't, oh, amazing, I get to get low for the, the littlest image bearers in, in our faith family, that would be awesome. That wasn't my first response. My first response was, yeah, that's not how I serve the church. And the Lord just convicted me. He's like, what? What do you mean that's not how you serve the church? Well, you know, I spend my time studying and I, I got to teach and, and you know, I need, just need a week off. And God's like, you think I need you, Mark? I don't need you. You want to serve me? You want to honor me? Get low. Get low. And so I did. Um, but... My heart wasn't there yet because I, I needed some more. Uh, so verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, so Jesus isn't trying to make us miserable. In, in our individualistic, consumeristic culture, we think, man, serving, that, that, that will make me, that kind of make me, I don't know, I might get taken advantage of. Well, Jesus was taken advantage of. I might, I might be disrespected. Well, Jesus was disrespected. I won't be using all my gifts and talents. Jesus laid, laid aside his gifts to come and take on flesh and our limitations. I'll just be asked to serve again. <laughs> Jesus hasn't stopped serving you. I'm better than that. Are you better than Jesus? <laughs> and, and so we... He says, you're going to be blessed. And, and you don't know it until you do it. Like you, you don't know that getting as low as possible actually brings you a kind of joy that can't happen in a consumeristic mindset. So he calls us to go low. He gives us an example. But then he gives us a new command at the end of uh, chapter 13. Verse 34 says, a new command. So he's given us an example to follow, a command to obey. A new command I give you give to you, that you love one another. Okay, we can, we can deal with that. But he doesn't stop there. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Oh, come on now. Come on, just as you have loved me. Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, he, he says this. He says, our king, who allowed himself to be tortured and killed for us, tells us to love one another in the same way. Have you ever even considered loving a fellow Christian as sacrificially and selflessly as Christ loved you? When was the last time you looked at another, at a Christian brother or sister selflessly, wanting to bring him or her life no matter what the cost? I mean, think about that. It's one thing to be like, oh, we should love each other. Okay, I'll, I'll make a meal if they're hungry. I mean, that, that is loving them. Don't, don't get me wrong. But like, we, like I, I just, we just have limits, right? Like, we're all called to love Aaron. We're like, we love Aaron. He's great. But who's going to die for Aaron? I mean, we're just not there yet, Aaron. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're trying to get there as a church, but we're not there. Like, Aaron's great. But Jesus is like, hey, you, you know how I loved you? You, you, yeah, you, you, it cost you everything, everything to bring me life. And yet you loved me. And Jesus said, yeah. 
So, so that vertical love that, that you get from me that, that has rescued and redeemed you and brought you into the kingdom and has made you a saint forever and ever, that love now goes horizontal in, in this room. Amen. Amen. There you go. How many is that for you? Two? Okay, you got one more. <laughs> but but he, he says something else that is kind of shocking if you stop in the next verse. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. All people. Like, that, that's the strategy. That there's, and we see this in the book of Acts, but for some reason, along the way, we, 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 we've, stopped, we've stopped believing that this will actually work. You're saying, Jesus, if we really get low, if we really take the love that you have for us and we spend that just to, for the people in this room, if we love one another, somehow, some way, the world is going to look on, they're going to be like... <coughs> That's just like Jesus' love. I want to be a part of that community. We're like, well, that's too hard. Let's come up with uh, maybe a Christmas pageant. That would help, right? <laughs> and then we'll have, we'll have rehearsals for like 50 hours and, and we'll do all these things and be like, well, couldn't we just love one another? Couldn't we just love our neighbors and love our city and get in there? Wouldn't that be more effective? Yeah, but no one's going to do that. So let's figure out some... Let's get a bounce house. Let's do whatever. I got to stop with that. But uh, we got to, you know, we, we get so goofy. And Jesus says, look, if you love one another, the mission of God is going to advance. So, so he gives us an example. He gives us a command to obey. But, but honestly, we've already said, we've already admitted, look, we're going to love Aaron, but uh, we have our limits. But how do we get past that? How do we actually do that? Well, he gives us power to do that. We cannot we cannot do this in and of ourselves. It's just not in our capacity. However, when you begin to look through uh, John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, the, the first thing he, he tells us, he says, hey, I'm leaving and it's actually better that I go because after I go, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, co-creator of the universe. The, the, he's going to take up residence in your life. You don't have any power in and of yourselves, but when the Spirit comes, man, it's going to change the world. And we're going to have this all-surpassing power to show that uh, it is from God and not from us. And so he's talking about the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to teach us, and it's going to convict us of sin, and he's going to show us, here's what it looks like to honor and glorify and please God by, by getting low. He's going to uh, just prompt us. And if we just kind of develop that, that sensitivity and relationship to the Spirit, he's going to lead us and empower us in such a way that together we are a church that pleases and honors God. So we have the Holy Spirit. We couldn't do it on our own. But he doesn't leave it, leave us to do it on our own. Not only that, in, in chapter 17, at the end of this discourse, he uh, gathers the guys and he begins to pray. And, and he makes this uh, amazing prayer to the Father on behalf of his disciples. But then in verse 20, he shifts gears and he prays for us. He prays for Redemption Parker. He prays for the churches in this city. He prays for all the believers that would come afterwards. This is Jesus praying for you that, that you would be come. Together we are a church that would honor and, and pray and bless God that it satisfies him. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. There would be this kind of supernatural unity. Look at that. Again, we, we can understand love, but, but we can't understand love like God loves us. 
We can understand unity, but we can't understand what he says next. Just as Father, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe. He says he wants us to be one like the Trinity is one. Like this is mind-blowing. And why? So that the world may believe. Again, the, the world would look on, they would see our unity, our central purpose, our love for each other on mission together, and the world would believe. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. That's the second time. As we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Just in case it wasn't clear, perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you loved me. So this is an example to follow, a command to obey, and then power to do this. His spirit, his prayer. You know what? That's just not, that's not the only time Jesus prayed for us. Right now, Paul reminds us, uh, Romans 8, 34. Even now, the son is seated at the right hand of the father and he is interceding for us. He's saying, Father, shape, my, shape Christ in them at Redemption Parker. Be glorified in them at Redemption Parker. Ha- have your way in their lives at Redemption Parker. Right now, he is praying for you. This is an amazing thing. What if we actually believed it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's the first thing. Let's believe what he said in his word today. And then let's just say, Lord, I I can't do it on my own, but but thank you for your spirit. Give me eyes to see. Give give me a a, a heart desire to, to please you above all, to honor you above all. Let us be a church that together we are this kind of thing. I mean, what would that even look like? Well, it would look different for each of us, but it would look like just this kind of attitude of coming into a gospel community together, meeting one another during the week, or coming into this room. Like, how can I get low? How how can I serve these people? Jesus said this would glorify and please God and advance the mission of the church. So let's prepare ourselves for that. In a few moments, we'll, we'll come to the communion table. And as we do every week, we are going to be reminded of the amazing vertical love that we have received in Christ, that he, his body was broken, his blood was shed for you. But, but in light of this passage, let us also re- be reminded that that's the kind of love that he's calling us toward one another, a love that would cost us everything. And the world would see, and the world would believe, and eternity would be changed. See, when we gather, we, we need to wash each other's feet. So let me just ask the question, whose feet do you wash? Whose feet do you wash when you come in here? Whose feet do you wash when you go into your gospel communities? If you don't have an answer for that, that that's okay. Good news. Next week is Strategic Servant Sunday. Next week, we're going to ask you to become foot washers. We have a lot of different needs where you can serve and get low in your church. Uh, but honestly, where we're going to focus the most is in our kids' ministry. Uh, we, we want to uh, relieve this bottleneck of us uh, pouring out the gospel in our community uh, for just people being willing to serve the littlest image bearers and more than that, to serve Jesus as they get low. So would you just pray about that this week? Would you just ask God, Lord, what would it look like to please and honor you when I gather with your church this week. So pray about that. If we're not committed to being the kind of people and the kind of church that honors and pleases God above all else, 
then what are we doing? We're wasting our time. Honestly, as, as, as Jesus said in the book of Revelation, look, your, your love has grown cold. I'm going I'm to put out the, your lampstand, meaning I'm going to shut down your church. I, I pray, Lord, would you close the doors of our church if we're just playing church? Would you just close it? Because we got, there, there's better things to do with your Sunday morning in Colorado, right? We all know that. So let's not be that kind of church. Together we are a church that seeks to glorify and please our Father. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your example in everything you did. But on that last night, when you knew you just had hours left, you went lower still. Thank you for your command to obey you and the promise to bless us in obedience to that command. And Father, thank you most of all for your spirit that has not only given us life, but has empowered us to teach us, to cause the repentance, and to show us what it means to honor and glorify you. Lord, help us to be a church together on mission in this way. Lord, all of us are, are in process. None of us have, have done this right or even perfect, or perfectly or right. And so I pray that this week you would make us a little bit more like Christ in this example. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.